um, not just to be with you on a Sunday, but also to be with you in this capacity as well. Um, so first, before we jump into the Word, I want to thank you all for helping my family transition here well. It has been a blessing to be with you all. Um, everything from, I want to, a few people I want to thank specifically, uh, Dave Murray and Tim Stumball came all the way to Memphis. Uh, they helped me pack, load the truck, and drove it back for us which was a huge blessing, but then also uh, Kevin Jewell for his organizing of the efforts to unload and, and get things set up in the house. So that's just a small testimony of what you guys have done for us. There's been much more since we've been here. So we thank you. Uh, Jessica and I thank you both. Um, so thank you all. It has been a blessing to be with you. So now if you would turn, uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5. Chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And if you are using the Pew Bible, that should be on page 978. And if you are a guest, Tom said already, but it would be our privilege if you don't have a copy of God's Word that we would love for you to take this. We want you to read it. Uh, We think that God will speak to you. We believe God will speak to you through His Holy Spirit in His Word. And so... Uh, read it, know it. That is how we have life, through His Word. Um, and he, he promises, as Micah said, His, his Word will not go um, without there being blessing, or it won't go out without there being uh, work done. And we pray that the Spirit would work in your life as it does in ours. So thank you for being here. So let's jump in. Ephesians five fifteen through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the promise of your spirit being a guarantee of our salvation. and, And it is with hopeful eyes that we look forward to being with you one day in your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how we may know you through it. And as we listen to the word today, I pray that your spirit would be doing a work in our lives. I pray for clarity of speech. I pray for um, clarity of thought. And as The word is proclaimed. I pray that your spirit would do a work. I thank you for the privilege of of preaching. And it's on your word that we rest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, Stephen was in Philippians chapter 4 where we we looked at anxiety. and, And he said it's not that we should just hope to escape all anxiety because it will come upon us. But what we do with that is the key. 
Do we take it upon ourselves to, to, to rest in caring for our own souls because we think, I've got to do this and I've, I've got to bear my burden? I think that's telling of our trust and where it is being in ourselves and not of God. And so may our trust be in Him. May we come to Him with life's burdens and life's anxieties and trust Him for those things. And as we tend to quite often move the focus from God to ourselves and struggle with anxieties, um, I think if we keep the end in mind, that is helpful. I know it's helpful for me. So even when we've DVR'd a football game. If somebody blows the secret and they tell us our team wins at the end, but then we go back and DV, because we've DVR'd it, we watch and we're at halftime and we know that our team's losing. We don't really worry, right? Because we know somebody blew the secret already, they're going to win. Or if four years ago when all the Cleveland Cavalier fans were burning jerseys of LeBron James, if they only knew four years later he would be back again, They'd probably save thousands of dollars because they wouldn't have burned their jerseys holding bonfire parties. And, and now they could um, just put their, their jerseys back on because they knew what was coming. And even um, Calvin, when he's teaching on Wednesday nights, has been going through Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And it's a picture of what is to come in the end. That Christ will reign and that we will be with him once again, and even now with the struggles of life, if we keep the end in mind, then it gives light on how we deal with things now. We don't trust in ourselves. We trust in God. We go to Him for our struggles. But they are struggles. It's a battle. So how do we deal with this? How do we fight? We fight a, 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 not a fight of flesh and blood, but we fight a fight against the powers and the darkness of this world. We have to remember that Christ will have victory in the end. And Romans 8, 9 tells us, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ, and that is the Holy Spirit. We battle in Christ. We battle with the Holy Spirit on our side. He promises not just to get us through life, that we just merely survive, but He promises abundant life, joyful life, and may we find that in Him through His Spirit. And so as we dig into the text, uh, there's three things you can see on your sheet that I want you to notice. First, that you must walk carefully in the Holy Spirit. Second, that you must know the will of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And three, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that first one, let's look at verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so what leads us to this point where Paul's talking about uh, walking as wise? Well, in chapters 1 through 3, he gives us all this orthodoxy, this right believing, this right thinking about who God is, specifically about salvation and how the, the Trinity, the God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all involved in our salvation as we come to know Christ. And so that then comes to chapter 4 and following where Paul says, okay, I've taught you what to think and what to believe, but now we're getting to this orthopraxy or this right living? How do we live in light of this truth? 
And he, he, he relates the Christian life to this walk. So you see in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In 4.17, he says, No longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Then in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Then 5, verse 8 and 9, he talks about walking as children of the light. And then here in verse 15, he tells us again that we are to walk Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so this, this looking is not just a mere glance, but it is actually taking inspection of our lives, looking carefully, almost like a, a chemist in a lab who, who adds a, a drop of, of solution to the compound and sees it change, and he's observing these changes. We, too, should be looking at our life. It's not just a life that we live because, well, I was once saved and, and now I'm, I'm going to heaven. But it is a life that we are to live, that we are to walk as wise, that we can walk giving glory to God. Um, and so it is, it is careful inspection. You see the same thing um, in, in Philippians 1.27 where Paul tells the Philippian church, he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And in 4.1, here in Ephesians 4.1, he says, Live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so, to some degree, there is, a, 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 I guess there should be inspection of our life. And there should be this, this care to how we are walking, how we are proclaiming Christ with our life. And so, uh, I think even as, as we look at our own lives, sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Uh, it's, it's often easiest to see it in other people, and especially in kids, where they're off playing in, in the other room. You hear cries and screaming, and you can't even tell what's coming out of their mouth because they're, they're just crying and screaming at the same time. Yes, I'm describing my house, if you're wondering. Um, and, and you don't even know what they're saying because there's just this high-pitched squeal, and you get everybody calmed down. You get... The kids put in their respective corners of the room because they've just gone to battle. And so you've, you've, you've just separated them. You get everybody calmed down. And you finally get to the heart of the matter of what's happened. And you see that one person's space or toy got violated. And the other just got mad and just unsuspecting to the, to the one who violated this other kid. They just come and just hit them. Yes, that happens quite often. <laughs> And you get down to it, and you see it's selfishness at the root. And you see these, these actions and these heart attitudes are, that are coming out. And I think the same way we also, maybe not exactly like a child, but we often react or live in such a way that is not taking a careful inspection of our life. We don't look carefully often enough to see how we proclaim Christ. Um, to the world. So I urge you, as I urge myself, let's look carefully. Let's judge ourselves. Um, and even in uh, the Gospels, you, you hear of, don't approach another brother about the speck in his eye unless you have first taken out the log from your own. I think we're due self-inspection. I'm due self-inspection. And so, how do we walk well, it tells us not as unwise, but as wise. 
what is this wise? It's not very, there's not a lot of detail here, right? What, it, what does it mean to, to walk as the wise do? Well, let's be discerning because sin is deceitful. We see that in Hebrews chapter 12. Sin is deceitful. It comes masquerading itself with these great hopes and promises of pleasure or whatever it may be we're seeking. But it's deceiving I was going to use a car salesman here, but I'm going to refrain because I don't know who sells cars here. So the vacuum cleaner salesman that goes door to door. I know this happened at least when I was young. Vacuum cleaner salesman used to go door to door. And they would sell this vacuum based on the promises of it's going to do this great job. It's, it's probably one of the best on the market. And, oh, by the way, it's on sale too. It's $100 off today, right? And based on the promises, you buy. And then it doesn't deliver like you hoped. Sin also can, de- can deceive, can have false promises, false hopes, and we so often get entangled and we believe those lies. So we have to be discerning. We have to look to God's Word on what it is to be wise. And you also see this with the nation of Israel throughout the whole Old Testament where they continually fall into this cycle of sin and repentance. And, and then they turn to God. And then after a time of, of blessing from Him, then they turn back to their own sin. We have to be careful. We have to be wise. Because the days are evil. It says, making the best use of the time. The ESV does. And then the King, King James actually says there, it says, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. So it has this, this look to it of, you've been given this time. Make the best use of it. Because the days are evil. It's not natural for us to seek God. It's not natural for us, apart from His grace and His Holy Spirit, for us to follow Him. And so we have to trust in Him, walk in Him, redeeming the time, using that time for Him. Time is probably one of the things that God has given to us to steward. One of the only things that we can't actually get back. We can make lots of money. We can lose lots of money. We can lose money faster than we can make it usually. We are called to steward it, right? Steward it well. Use it. Use the resources God has given us for His glory and His honor. But time, once it's gone, has gone. We can't go back in time unless we go back to the future. But that doesn't happen. The time that we have has been given to us that we might honor and glorify God. So redeem it. Use it for Him. Use it for His glory. Whether that be serving the church or in your vocation. You can redeem the time through your vocation as a teacher or a banker or working with the government. You can redeem your time. Work in such a way that your hard work And your focus proclaims Christ to others. All vocations can be redeemed for Christ. Almost all vocations can be redeemed for Christ. There would be a few exceptions. But we are called to glorify God with our time. Make the most of our days. And so the question here is, fathers, how are you discipling your children? Husbands, how are you laying your life down? 
to see Christ build up in your wife, not just once, not just the day that you make your vows, but every day. Wives, do you respect your husband? Moms, do you build up your husband in the eyes of your children? And church member, how are you serving Christ in the church and making disciples of all the nations? Because just coming here on a Sunday morning is not what you're called to do. That's part of your calling. We're told by Christ before he heads, after his resurrection and ascending to heaven, he says, go and make disciples, or as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them the commands of Christ, to obey the commands of Christ. And so, if that is the case, how are we, Hamilton Baptist Church, making disciples of Christ? And for you, the non-believer, the, the, the person who may be wondering who Christ is and, and all about Him, the question to you is, how do you redeem your time? And I would answer that, that you can't redeem the time apart from Christ. You may be able to do good deeds and good works in the views of men. You might be able to dig wells in Africa and relieve poverty or, or suffering or famine. But ultimately, it's not redeeming the time because you are doing it with your own works. It has to be done proclaiming Christ. May He be the one that you proclaim. And so, if that is true, you can't redeem the time without Him. So you have to know there is a need for Him. You have sinned. You have rebelled. I've rebelled against Christ. And He is the one. Even just one sin, one time we rebel against Him, is enough to send me, to send you, to hell, separated from Him forever. And it's not because of the greatness of the sin necessarily, but it's mostly because of who you sin against, and that being Christ, our God, the holy, perfect God. And so because He is infinitely glorious, I think at the same time, that reveals the depth of our sin, or the greatness of our sin because of how great our God is. And so you're not left in your helpless state. You have been given Christ. He has offered to you. He has died. He's taken on the curse for men that we might believe in Him and have eternity with Him. Be blessed given the grace of God, the gift of God, and that being eternal life. So I ask that you even redeem the time today that you would receive Christ and turn to Him. But also it, it can be even times of struggle where it's hard to see that in perspective. But I think a lot of times in life we, we tend to focus on the end most often when we experience suffering. Or there's maybe a change in life. Even when coming here with you guys, that helps refocus me on what's the most important things I need to be focused on in life. And even for all of us, when we experience death, when the end is near, when it's a loved one who has died, that tends to refocus us on what's the most important. That in perspective gives us that purpose today, that, that drive to come to Christ in all that we do. 
And I even wanted to, to share with you now, um, a good family friend of mine died this past week. Um, he had been married to his wife for over 50 years. And so here's just a, a clip from the email she sent. And this was five hours after he died. So here are her words. Her husband's name is Bill. She says, Dear special friend, Bill went to heaven at 5 a.m. this morning. The Lord took him peacefully and gently and quietly. I know Bill is moving that right side that was paralyzed and talking with a voice that he could not use after his stroke. I know he is so happy to see our little boy and to see his parents and my parents and his parents and my brother and all his dear friends who have gone before him. But most importantly, I know he is rejoicing to see our Savior. Our Father has been so very good to us. He has done exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever think or ask. He is sovereign. He is merciful. He is the one who enabled Bill to fight the good fight, to finish the course, and to keep the faith through it all. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So I ask all of us, let's look carefully at how we live. Let's remember the end. Christ has the victory, but we must be trusting in, walking in Him. And it's not for our own uh, building up, but it is that we would be walking in such a way that glorifies God. Let's turn to chapter, or sorry, verse 17 now. And as we read that, here Paul saying, Know the will of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. So he says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so throughout Ephesians, beginning in chapter 4 and following, you see this continuing uh, theme of put off, put on, put off, put on, put off sin. But you don't just put off sin and, and that's it. You also put on Christ. You're replacing the things of this world with Christ. You're looking to Christ. And so even here, Paul says, put off, put on. Put off foolishness. So how do we define foolishness? I think throughout the scriptures, if you look at Proverbs and, and even the Israelites, you see that foolishness God describes as not walking in the ways of the Lord. We see that with the Israelites turning so, so many times to other gods. And in Jeremiah 4, 22, it sums up foolishness very well, I think. It says, For my people are foolish. This is God speaking. My people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. The foolish are wise in doing evil. In their foolishness, they think they are actually wise. And they are foolish and stupid because they don't know God. So let's put off foolishness. Let's press on toward Christ. And it's not just this, this hidden will that we're supposed to just figure out from God. But it says, understand the will of the Lord at the end of 17. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not hidden, it's not secret. And it's not just a head knowledge of, 
I've, I've attained it, and that's it. But it's, I may know the will of the Lord, and then I also have to live, I have to do, I have to follow Him. Just like a teacher, you don't want your kids to go to school, go off to college, and have a professor that just has all this wealth of knowledge. That's great, but you want the teacher to also be able to actually teach, right? Because I've had some great professors, even in seminary. Great, amazing, they can write books like crazy. Get them in the classroom, and it's a struggle. It's hard. You want that teacher to be able to teach. The same with a surgeon. You don't want a surgeon who read the, the manual last night, and now he's memorized the steps for the, for the procedure, and he's ready. You want the surgeon who's been to, to class, passed his exams, he's been through residency, and hopefully, even if you have a really good specialist, he's probably participated in some sort of fellowship, right? And so he's actually put into practice the things that he knows. He has skill. So let us also not just have a head knowledge of the will of God, but let's understand Let's know, let's follow the will of the Lord. So then you're like, Josh, okay, well, that's great. The will of the Lord, what is that? If I'm supposed to not only know it, but I'm also supposed to follow it. I think if you look earlier in Ephesians from chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, we'll see that there's, there's two parts. The first part, the will of God is our salvation. So it says, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, "...in Him we have redemption through His blood." The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul wants us to know the will of God, that it is your salvation. God's will is that you would know Him, that you would follow Him, you would trust Him for all things. And, and again, that's where sin deceives us, right? It is deceitful. It promises. It has promises that it cannot fulfill. And I think the words of Samuel Rutherford are good here. He says, O pity, forevermore that there should be such a one as Christ Jesus, so boundless, so bottomless, and so incomparable, and infinite excellency and sweetness, and so few take him. So no Christ, take him. Because he is boundless, he's bottomless and incomparable and infinite excellency and sweetness. And then also I think there's a second part where the, the will of God is our sanctification. And I take that from First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, For this is the will of God. So first Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, the will of God is that you be saved. And now he's telling us in, in 1 Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he follows that up a few verses later, 7 through 8. He says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever is holy, sorry, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So we should be putting off sin, putting on Christ. 
the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives should be a continual putting away of sin. And, and sometimes, if you read uh, some church history, some Puritans, they talk about the mortification of sin, the killing of sin. I think that's very picturesque, that we want to hate sin. We want to kill sin. We don't want to flirt with it and think, okay, I need to stay away, but, you know, it's, it's okay. I just need to stay away from it. I need to grow in my hatred for sin. I need to, need to see it as rebellion against God and who He is. And so, kill sin, love Christ, pursue Him, and the Spirit working in us that it should be continually putting away sin. And, and again, I want to read some more words from Samuel Rutherford in just the process of putting off sin, what it looks like, and, and the aim for it. He says, Lord, cut. Lord, carve. Lord, wound. Lord, do anything that may perfect thy Father's image in us and make us meet for glory. It is the Lord's kindness that he will take the scum off of us in the fire. So it is good. It is his kindness that he refines us, even if it's through fire. Who knows how needful winnowing is to us. So narrow is the entry to heaven that our knots, our bunches, and lumps of pride, and self-love, and idol love, and world love must be hammered off us, that we may throng in, stooping low, and creeping through that narrow and thorny entry. Oh, what I owe to the file, to the hammer, to the furnace of my Lord Jesus. So even though there's that discipline sometimes, that, that winnowing or that, that chipping off, that is for your good, that is for my good, that we would uh, follow Christ, that we would know Him, trusting in Him. So put off foolishness, put on Christ, look to Him. And then finally, as we turn to verses 18 through 21, let's see that... Paul is urging us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is not referring to um, salvation. This because the, the Holy Spirit is given to those who are in Christ, as we read from Romans 8 earlier. But this is that continually walking with Him, knowing Him. And so verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So again, that put off, put on continues here. So 15, in verse 15, we saw earlier, put off walking unwisely, but put on walking in wisdom. And then 17, put off foolishness, but put on understanding or the knowing of the will of God. And now again in 18, he says, put off and put on. Put off drunkenness. Put on the Spirit. And this is not a command for doing away with alcohol. It's a command for abstaining from drunkenness, putting off drunkenness. Because if you think about it, alcohol, when taken to the excess, affects the whole body. It affects the mind. It affects your motor skills, your coordination. It affects the way that you think, the way that you act. So instead of being drunk on wine, be filled with the excess of the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit be what shapes our lives and gives color and vividness to our sight. So how do we do that? That's a good question. I think there's three ways. The first, ask for the Spirit. 
And here from uh, Luke 11, 11 through 13, it says, What father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? So I think the first way that we're filled with the Spirit is that we come to God asking, God, give me your Spirit. Teach me more of who you are. And then two, I would say drink deeply of Christ. Don't drink deeply of wine, but drink deeply of Him. Because drinking much of wine affects the whole body. Drink deeply of God. Crave Him. Hunger Him. Let Christ satisfy your soul. Let Him be the one that cares for you instead of yourself. Set your mind on Him. Think about God and His greatness. And how He's bestowed upon you and I His great grace through Christ. And then third... Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Stephen touched a little bit on that in Philippians 4 last week. But then this is from Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So we're looking to Christ. We're, we're looking for Him for all good things. We're looking to Him for everything. And so when that happens, I think three things occur, at least, at least three things, but I know the text here tells us three things. So listen again, beginning with the, the end of verse 18. It says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so if we're trusting in Him, if we're looking to Him for all things, we're asking for the Spirit and we're drinking deeply of Him, and we're setting our minds on the things of Christ, I think there's three, I think the text gives us three evidences of being filled with the Spirit. The first one being joy-filled singing. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it should spark us to love and be devoted to Him. I think it is a singing and a making melody. One of the things I appreciate uh, about being here, and I even told Dawn this week, uh, she often looks at me, or I feel like she looks at me, when she's singing, facing us, right? And she's got this huge smile, and a couple of times I've seen her kind of give me the, the smile sign. And I love it, because it reminds me, it is a joy-filled singing that I'm here to worship Him. And hopefully it's taking place not just here, but hopefully it's taking place in all of life. And I think even you you see from the text that it, it occurs on two levels. One, that we should be singing to one another, addressing one another, as the text says. Some uh, translations may even say speaking to one another. And then it says, singing and making melody to the Lord. So us gathering together, that is one way that we can express being filled with the Spirit. We can sing with joyful hearts to one another, but then also to our great God. And then second, you see another evidence of being filled with the Spirit is giving thanks always. So giving thanks in all things. And even as Stephen said last week, it's not necessarily that you're thanking God for 
troubles or death, but knowing the God that we can trust, we can give thanks for Him and His care for us, for everything. And then third, I think the third evidence of being filled with the Spirit, this might possibly be one of the hardest, submitting to one another. Christ is our head. If we are filled with the Spirit, then we will see it is our good to submit to Christ first and then to one another. So let this text, let the Word draw us to submit to Christ. And then after submitting to Him, submitting to one another. And I think it's very appropriate that it even comes before what follows, verses 22 through 33, where it gives instructions to husbands and wives that we would be submitting first to Christ, and when that happens, we would be submitting to one another. Um, I think it's, it's only by walking in the Spirit that we are actually able to, husbands, lay down your lives for your wife that you might build her up, and wives that you would respect your husbands. I think that first is preceded by walking in the Spirit if we are to do that well and do it in a God-honoring way. So even with these evidences in mind of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, it's important that we see all of this is to the Lord. So verse 19, as we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that we're singing and making melody to the Lord. And then as we give thanks always and for everything that is to God, and then submitting to one another out of reverence, for Christ. So it's not for all these things that we do that others would look at us and say, well, look at Josh, or look at Tom, or look at whoever, and they say, man, that guy's good. But may we walk in the Spirit that others might see how glorious our God is, that we're pointing them towards Him, and that we are saying with our lives, may we be filled with the Spirit for God's glory and not our own. So with that, I challenge you to walk in the Spirit. Pray with me now. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your call to us to walk carefully in the Spirit. To know the will of God through the Spirit. And that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that it is through walking with you closely that all of life points toward you and brings glory to you and honor to you. We thank you for making us your children. We thank you for the gift of Christ that you have given yourself. It was not required of you by us to give Christ to us, but you freely, out of your goodwill, gave us Christ. And so we thank you for him. It is him we proclaim, and may our lives and our words proclaim him for your glory. Amen.